Hello, you found yourself back here at the Scarred Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So we lived um, kind of close to the university hospital, and since I worked the night shifts, sometimes my wife would uh, bring me what would be lunch in the evening. So we had a funny, we called it munch because it was midnight, midnight lunch. Anyway, she would come for munch, and we would, uh, she would come and park at the emergency room, and we would sit and have a bite to eat while I had a break. Uh, around midnight, one in the morning, something like that. Anyway, one night she'd come over and uh, we were munching our munch and the, an ambulance pulled up and uh, when they opened the doors, uh, they're, you know, they're pulling the patient out of the ambulance and I can smell burn. I knew instantly that this was going to be a burn patient. And so I went over to the ambulance and asked the guys, and uh, sure enough, you know, I could just tell looking at his face, uh, even though he's covered up with a blanket, he is definitely burned. So I told my wife I had to go, and uh, and so we took him in. I called up upstairs to the burn unit and uh, told them that there was a burn. Because normally what happens is this university hospital was in a metropolitan area, but, but there not every hospital has a burn ward. They usually a, a burn center is located in a, in a big hospital and it can cover at least in the west you know where we have more sparse uh, cities our burn center covered up to almost 400 miles i think it was 400 miles until the other closest burn center so we normally would get some sort of notice before we received a patient oftentimes a person would get burned wherever they were um and they'd go be taken to the hospital and then the hospital would assess the you know the person's injuries and then if they felt like it was time to transfer them to to a burn center they they would call the burn center and say look yeah this patient's in route and it's going to be there in a certain time so like 95 percent of the time we know well in advance that a burn patient's coming but this was in that five percent where we didn't know and and he just rolled up so we got him into the uh into one of the rooms of the emergency department and I can't remember the whole, the whole situation as to why my sister was down there. She may have been floating, which called which is called it's called floating when your regular job is a certain unit, and then uh, if there's not enough patients to cover the staff or for the staff to cover, they will float or go to a different um, ward or floor and uh, work on a different you know where there's a need. And that may have been why my sister was down in the emergency department. I'm not sure, but anyway. She was there, um, and I came in with this patient, and she was as kind of shocked as I was as to why I was coming in with a patient, because yeah, usually I'm upstairs. But anyway, so we, we, you know, I had worked there for a couple of years at this time, so and she was a, a very seasoned nurse. She'd also worked on helicopters um, as a flight nurse, and so we just got to business as... Um, other staff members were coming down from the burn center and more often than not in the emergency department you have uh, some notice before a patient starts to get bad enough to where you have to do a kind of an emergency intubation where you put the tube through their mouth into their trachea and start to breathe for them 
But this patient, you know, he was, what, what had happened is they, there was a, in the town where this hospital is, there's a refinery um, kind of out on the outskirts and there was a refinery fire. And as the firemen were fighting uh, back this fire, I feel like I said fire a lot in that sentence. Anyway, they're pushing back the fire and they find this person lying in the midst of all this uh, charred debris and he's alive. And so this is the, the source of our patient. So we, uh, he's, we don't, not exactly sure how long he's been laying there. Uh, we, we wouldn't kind of know based on when the fire started. So, but he's been, you know, seriously injured and he's not breathing very well at all. Uh, and so in fact, I wouldn't have characterized him as crashing, but not doing well. So we, my sister decided, uh, that she, you know, it's time to intubate him. And usually a doctor will do that. But my sister, having been a flight nurse, she knows exactly how to do all that kind of stuff. I mean, we were we were never trained, at least I was never trained to do, um, to intubate anybody, but she was. And so she's like <laughs> saying, look, we have to do this. Uh, who knows how long it's going to take them to come down, usually in a matter of minutes, but sometimes seconds count. So she said, we're doing this. And, and, and oftentimes when you're putting in the tube, with the laryngoscope, a laryngoscope is kind of a, a J-shaped or an L-shaped uh, lighted kind of, uh, it's just J-shaped. Think of it that way with this kind of like splayed out, you know, spoon thing. And as you're pushing that in, you're using that to open the trachea and then guide the tube in. And oftentimes you've got your hand on the scope, laryngoscope, you've got your other hand on the tube, you know, to the ET tube to put in. And you need a third hand to push down on uh, the, I can't even remember the term. I think it's called the cricoid or something like that. Anyway, she's like cricoid pressure. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, she's like fingers on the Adam's apple press down. Anyway, that pushes it down. So you get a better idea or get a better view of putting. Anyway, she's a master. She put it in and, uh, you know, saved the guy for the time being. And got the the tube in and and anyway it was fun to see my sister in action um just kind of in an emergency getting it done and getting it done right it was cool um so then the staff comes uh from the burn center and we start what is normally done or the normal preparation the normal treatment of a burn patient which comes that comes in and as shocking as it may be the first thing we do is pull out razors and when i mean when when i'm talking about a razor i'm talking about like a like a you know a shaving razor you shave your face or your legs or you know whatever the case may be and and the 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 person's eyes if they're awake this guy wasn't coherent but if a person's awake and uh say first thing we're going to do is shave your face and they've got burns all over it that it's like adding insult to injury like why would you shave me but this is the very best way to get rid of obviously the hair but but hair also can hide and attract dirt and bad bugs and germs and so we just shave it and uh, it's funny because the head nurse would always when she was shaving a guy's face she would give this kind of pursed lips to the side of her face you know and the guy would immediately do that 
you know, like he knew what she meant when she pursed her lips and, and you know, and squished her lips over to the side of her face. Like, you know, make that side of your, your skin, your face tight so I don't cut you when I shave you. She never even had to say a word, though. She would just do it and then the guy would do it. It was always, it always cracked me up inside when that would happen. But yeah, one of the first things we did was uh, shave. And then if they came in with um, second degree burn, which is characterized by a, a blister or, uh, you know, kind of a water blister. I'm sure you may have had one of these. We, when they came into the hospital, we would rip those off. I mean, out in, out in the wild and in, in maybe a wilderness kind of thing, you, that's a natural dressing. And, and if you can keep it without popping, you should not, you know, you shouldn't rip those open and pop them. Um, in fact, I, I, we were at a family function one summer and my sister had put a cookie had burned her finger on a cookie sheet and this is the time I was working at the burn center and I just you know I took like this uh, washcloth and just ripped the bl the blister off and the, her face was like why did you do that you know it's like well that's what we do that's how we treat them but if you're not trained you don't have the dressings you don't have the right you know antibiotics and ointments and stuff which I had in my bag but anyway don't rip them off keep them keep them on there as long as you can at least till you get back to some place that can treat them but back in the ranch we're in the emergency room we're the after shaving well and sometimes even in the process of shaving you would rip these blisters off second degree burns and another reason that you rip the blisters off is because although there's three degrees of burns they can kind of mesh into each other and then over time they can merge and change from one degree to the other so when you take the blisters off oftentimes you'll see underneath oh this is actually third degree or this you know is a deep second and so it just it in a, in a situation like that that's um the best thing that we can do in order to assess the injuries and kind of tell what's going so yeah it's a pretty traumatic affair as if the burn wasn't enough when they get to the hospital we start shaving them and uh, ripping blisters off then comes this white cream um, called Silvadine. I think it. I th I think it stands for s silver sulfadiazine, something like that. That sounds like some kind of pesticide, but it, I think that's what it was. But the name brand or whatever is called Silvadine, and that white cream just looked like white marshmallow cream. And you wipe. We would wipe that on the burns um, when they came into the hospital. Wrap them up with the with these uh, rolls of gauze and. Uh, and then we would take them upstairs and get them situated in a room. And so once we got this guy situated and up in his room, you know, he's intubated, he's unconscious. Um, and we, you know, start them off with pretty powerful pain medications because we never, they, from what I understand, from what the patients have told me, they never ever take the pain away unless you're in surgery, but they do, they're pretty stout medications at the time morphine sulfate was kind of that was the drug that the the patients would or that they were prescribed them so he's in the room he's he's not coherent he's not awake he's severely burned i think he had like 80 percent 90 percent of his body with third degree burns um and again we have a mortality chart that tells predicts you know you've got a person of this age and weight size with this type of burn at this degree they have a chance of surviving x percent and he was right near a hundred percent mortality which means he had almost no chance of living and i think i can't remember 
I wasn't there when the doctors, you know, gave the wife the news. But when she came into the room, she, you know, said to him, you know, hey, you're going to beat this just like last time. And when she said that, kind of we all were like, what? And come to find out, he'd had this accident before. And what, what it was, is he was, a, he was a tanker driver, like an oil gas, a gas tanker driver. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the details about how this happened. So this is what I heard. And, you know, somebody that knows what they're doing, they're going to go, that's not how it works. And so, you know, write me and tell me how it works if you want to. But this is what I was told about how this, uh, this guy, uh, how the fire started. But he had a nasty habit of checking the level of the truck's uh, fluid with like some kind of ignition device in his mouth or his hands, like a cigarette or a lighter or whatever. And he had done this before and survived. And... Uh, Unfortunately, this time he didn't survive. He passed away sometime, um, sometime in the early early morning hours. But um, that just seems like uh, you, you know a person dodged a bullet, a, a very massively targeted bullet the first time. You check the level of a, a tanker, a fuel tanker with a cigarette. It'd be um, hard to not remember that that's a that's a no no. But you know. Who knows what, what what happens at night? You get tired and forget, and one thing leads to another, an emergency, and the next thing you know, you've got a cigarette in your hand, looking down the opening of a tanker truck. And some sometimes accidents uh, happen, and you pay the ultimate price. And that was uh, unfortunately the situation with this gentleman. I want you to know how much I appreciate you stopping by and taking an opportunity to share these experiences with me. Part of my journey has been learning how to produce and create music, and uh, I'm going to play one for you if you want to stick around and listen to it. Hope that you enjoy it. You can't understand. You don't know.
Que se siente. Que se siente. 